You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? It's Matt coming to you with another awesome episode. Today we have Johnny F.D., for fighter and diver. He is a digital nomad that is currently, I believe, in Thailand. Uh, you will hear a lot of really interesting uh, techniques and tactics on all sorts of stuff, but specifically that apply to being a digital nomad. I try to tease out a lot of different tips and tricks from him and just learn about how he's created a life of travel for himself where he can make money, live around the world, be happy, feel free, which are just uh, some amazing values to live by if you're able to figure out how to do it. And I want to get you that information. So here we go. That is it for me. If you do want to send me a message and let me know a little bit of feedback on this episode, I would be thrilled to hear from you on Instagram at Matt Wilson TV. And as always, would love for you to check out the Trips on Sale page at Under 30 Experiences. And we are offering $200 off our brand new Vietnam and Cambodia trip, our trailblazer trip. If you want to be the first, be the guinea pigs and go check that trip out. It's the first time we're going to run it and we're giving you $200 off. So check that out, under30experiences.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson. And today we're here with none other than Johnny F. D. He's a digital nomad. He makes over a hundred grand a year in passive income, and he's the author, blogger, and host of the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the Invest Like a Boss podcast, and he's the founder of the Nomad Summit. He's coming to us from Chiang Mai, and uh, I am here in Bali. I think we got some stable internet, so let's do it. Yeah, I'm really excited. And I love being in Chiang Mai. It is the one place in the world I come back every single year just to get work done, to build a new business, to optimize my life, like whether it's just it's fitness or business-wise. And I do like to travel to like places like Bali, but definitely Chiang Mai is the place I like to home base. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about Chiang Mai because I've been... I probably only spent three or four of the days there, which is certainly not enough for me to make a judgment on a place. I actually went out to Lampang. I don't know if you know uh, Lampang. It's probably an hour, hour and a half outside of Chiang Mai, a smaller city. And Tim, our under 30 experiences Southeast Asia manager lives out there. So I got the the real Thai experience outside of the, the city and got to see his rice paddy and, uh, and the whole deal out there. But yeah, I'm curious more. Uh, yeah, tell me why you like Chiang Mai so much. I'm curious. I think it's because it has the best infrastructure of any low cost, kind of easy lifestyle place in the world. I mean, to me, it's almost like if Hawaii was a quarter of the cost, would I rather live there than LA or New York? And it definitely, you know, it's beautiful here. We're close to nature. There's beautiful mountains, you know, everywhere. Everyone's super friendly. And what I like about it is even though it has a very laid back nature vibe, it still has access to, to everything you need. You know, unlike places like Bali, for example, if your MacBook charger breaks, you know, you can just get a new one. Right. You can buy the latest iPhone, you know, pretty much as soon as it comes out. If you want to take a taxi somewhere, you can use, you know, Grab or Uber. And it's just really easy. Like everything is just super simple. We have great cinemas everywhere. And it's an easy place to live year round. But to be honest, 
I think the best life for a digital nomad is to not get too comfortable in one place, yet balancing not traveling too often. I think that's the big fatal mistake most nomads make, where it's either one extreme or the other. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I want to ask you about that a, a little bit more because I've been traveling since 2012, more or less full-time, but I've spent a lot of time in Costa Rica. I've spent some time in out here in Bali and of course, traveling to all different places. And when I go to a place, I, I at least like to stay for a few weeks and be able to get to know it. And I'll often go back for work as the owner of, of a travel company. But uh, I'm curious a little bit more about Chiang Mai and how it compares to Bangkok, obviously, it's a much smaller, probably more manageable city for you. But yeah, could you com- compare the two uh, a little bit more for people who might not uh, know the difference? Yeah, definitely. So I'm actually flying to, to Bangkok in a few hours. I'm going to be spending the weekend there. And it's funny that even though I've been coming to Thailand for the last 10 years, I still don't know Bangkok very well. If you ask me, you know, what's there to do there? My mind's a blank. I would say, you know, there's great restaurants, great nightclubs, great nightlife, but there's not that much else to do. There's not that much nature around there. There's not much culture in a sense of, you know, here there's night markets everywhere. And it's just things that are easy to get to. In Bangkok, everything is so spread out. There's so much traffic where wherever you end up staying, you kind of just end up staying in that area, even if you live there year round. Well, in Chiang Mai, what I really love is it's kind of like a little big city where you have everything that you need in terms of big city life, but everything is a five or 10 minute drive away. So regardless of where you live in the city, you can call a friend, you can call eight friends, and within 20 minutes, you can all meet for dinner. While in a big city like Bangkok, I have friends that only see each other once every few months just because they live on the other side of the city and there's just too much traffic to get there. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. That sounds uh, a lot like my experience living in New York. I lived in New York for, I don't know, maybe three years uh, in the city. And my brother went to lived in Brooklyn and I hardly ever saw him because, wow, it was Brooklyn. It was too far. You know, all the the kind of stereotypes that you hear. But yeah, you get into a um, into a grab in there in Bangkok, and it's it could be an hour pretty much anywhere you want to go. So that's interesting. So you moved out there to train Muay Thai, or was that one of the main reasons uh, that you decided on Chiang Mai? Yeah, so about five years ago, I moved to Chiang Mai to do Muay Thai kickboxing. I had actually been doing it for a few years down in Phuket and some of the Thai islands, and I had decided I wanted a change of pace. I think a big recommendation I would give everyone is if you're going to make a big move and you're going to move to a place like Thailand, go straight to the islands. Spend a few year, years there and just enjoy the crap out of it because that is the dream. We, you know, Most of us grew up in cities. Most of us have dreamed about you know, going to a tropical, beautiful island, hanging out on a beach all day. And I think we just need to enjoy it and kind of get it out of the system before we can enjoy you know, going back to the city life. So I spent five years on Koh Tao, Koh Lanta, Phuket, you know, all these different islands teaching scuba diving and doing Muay Thai. Cool. That sounds pretty good. Is there more, more culture to be seen down on the islands or on some of the islands? Because I went to uh, I went to Riley Beach and you know, there's not even a village there. I mean, that is specifically 
popped up as a rock climbing place and it's amazing in its own right, but you could be anywhere in the world, in my opinion, and, and be on Riley Beach. I mean, sure, sure, it's still uh, Thai food, super friendly people, that kind of thing, but it's the true beach town experience. What about some of the other islands I have not been? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some smaller islands that most people just haven't heard of that have more of a local Thai community and more culture there. However, in general, Thai people don't like the beach. And traditionally, they didn't like the sun. Uh, culturally, by being dark, it's associated with being low class and being a farmer, being a worker. So in general, people want to stay out of the sun. They don't you know, want to swim in the ocean. And that's why there, there isn't that much culture on the actual islands while, you know, because people want to move the city. I mean, people want to go to Bangkok. People want to go to Chiang Mai and be in an air-conditioned office. And it's a bit ironic that in the Western culture, we want the exact opposite. We want to get out of the city. We want to get out of the office. We want to get out of the AC. And we want to lay on a beach and get as dark as possible. Sure. Yeah, it's a sign of success or it's a sign that you're living a luxurious beach lifestyle and people like that. Yeah, that, that's really funny, that contrast. I, I think of that all the time, especially when you see people in, in Asia walking around on a sunny day with umbrellas. Granted, that's very helpful because it can be extremely hot. Uh, but yeah, also to stay out of the sun for your skin tone. So that's that's pretty funny. Um, I'm sure we could nerd out all day on Southeast Asia, but I, I wanted to ask you for our, our listeners here, how do you afford to live in Southeast Asia? And uh, I assume you, you work from your laptop. Yeah. Well, so actually the first four or five years, I didn't work from my laptop. I, I had read the four-hour work week when it first came out. And in 2008, I sold all my stuff and I moved to Thailand. I had a couple thousand dollars in total from selling my car, selling my furniture, selling my clothes, and just moving out there thinking, okay, what can I do now? And that's when I discovered scuba diving. I went through the training course to become a dive master, which is basically an underwater guide. And I started getting paid about you know, 20,000 baht a month, which is maybe $600, which was just enough to get by. I lived in bamboo huts. You know, on the beach, I ate local Thai food and I loved it. It was the best four years of my life. And I highly recommend that to every single person who wants to just escape, escape your corporate job, live on a beach and do what you love all day. I could not agree more. I had a very yogi surfer phase where, and not that I don't identify with those two things still at this part of my life, but living on the beach in Costa Rica and you know my first place that I rented, or uh, maybe not my first place, but I do remember a place that was $250 a month to live, I believe. Maybe it was $300, but I had a roommate. And it was a, just a crappy little place, but I didn't care at all. And I put my surfboard in the corner every day and I learned to live with basically nothing, just a one burner, one gas burner stove that really didn't work very well and crappy internet. And it just didn't matter to me. And it was, it was amazing. It was, to me, it was a very spiritual experience as well because I got to focus on the things that were important in life and having a connection with nature. And of course, as my business has grown, 
it's become more difficult for me and I need to really focus and carve out time to work on those things that are important to me. Or sometimes I'm in Costa Rica and I live five minutes from the beach and often weeks and weeks will go by without getting... Well, I'll get in the water several times a week, but actually going out for a good surf session, it's it's difficult. So uh, I'm curious what you learned in that time where you just did what you truly loved. I think in the beginning, I thought I wanted to do it for the rest of my life. And I actually met you know, a few older guys who worked at the dive shops that were just so grouchy and, and just unhappy. And I can never tell why. I'm like, you know, why are they complaining every day? Life is amazing. You know, we wake up, we put on board shorts, we go diving, we have a beer, you know, we have free food at the resorts often. And they would just be unhappy. And I think what it was is because they enjoyed it in the beginning. And at one point, they stopped enjoying it, but they were trapped. They had to continue doing it because they had no other skills. They didn't want to go back home or they couldn't afford to go back home to the US or the UK because it was too expensive. Some of them got married or had kids here and they're just, they were just stuck. And I realized at that point, I never want to be in that situation. I want to enjoy this life as long as I'm happy. And the moment I'm not, I want to move on. I could not agree more. And I also want to point out to people that you can get stuck in paradise by doing things like buying a hotel or starting a business that needs you to be there. And I know so many grouchy old expats. A lot of them are men, but a lot of grouchy old women too who sold their house in the States and were able to buy some type of hotel and they got sold on it in the month of January when the town is full. And then May comes along or God forbid, September or October when it's low, low season. And they realize that all their money is tied up in an asset that is very difficult for them to sell. They bought it at the top of the market. The place is empty and they can't leave. Uh, and that's pretty crazy. Have, have you seen that type of thing as well in your travels? I mean, the owners of the dive shops, probably. Yeah. I was going to say, I've worked at maybe you know 10 or 20 different dive shops now. And one nice thing about being the dive master, or even when I was an instructor, we don't have to be loyal, especially if we you know, speak multiple languages and we're just in high demand. We can change locations. We can quit and move to another island, to another country, and then check out the scenery there and enjoy the diving there every three or six months. And it's just a very normal thing to do because we have no ties. I would literally pack my bags and I'll move to the Caribbean because I heard you know, there's good diving there. And then I got there and I realized the diving wasn't as good as Asia. So then I moved to Borneo and I spent six months there diving you know, with hundreds of sharks and turtles and manta rays and thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, so in that time, I met a lot of dive shop owners and most of them had something in common. They hardly ever dove. And it was because they were so busy you know, they were stressed about work, that it would be like a once a month thing. While for me, I would do it every day. I would get paid for it. And then on the weekends, when I had a day off, I'd probably still do it just for fun. Sure. Sure. No, that that's amazing. And yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough about that type of experience. I'm curious how making friends has been for you and your experience as a as a digital nomad uh, i find that 
when you live in a transient place or you're transient yourself, it's hard to form uh, real deep friendships with people who you stay in touch with, unlike my friends from home where, you know, we grew up together or we had a shared experience. We had, we bonded over, you know, my friends from college and I are still all really pretty close. Now I have much less in common with those people, but the people who I have more common, who I might meet in place like Costa Rica, we might drift apart because the both of us are probably very independent minded and Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm curious about that. Tell me a little bit more about your social life. Yeah, so the key word that you mentioned is independent. And I think it's both a huge strength but also a weakness, you know, and a downside. I love being independent enough to go to a new country even though I don't know anyone, even if I don't speak the language, just because it's exciting to me and I want to explore. And I love meeting other people who have the same mindset because it it is exciting versus you know, someone who might be the exact opposite, someone who grew up in a city or town and has never really left it. But the downside to it is because everybody's so free, I mean, you know, especially because now we work online, we can work from anywhere technically, and there's so many places in the world to go and explore. The problem is people become a little bit too independent where they stop kind of caring about where, you know, if their friends can go or not, if their friends want to go or not, and they just kind of take off. Sure. So it feels like every other week there's like a going away party for someone. The nice thing about Chiang Mai is every single winter from December to January, some of February, everybody comes back. It's such a strange thing. Even if we don't plan it, even if we don't talk to each other, I guarantee every November I come back and I'll have a hundred friends that I hung out with last year. And you would talk to them and say, where have you been? And they'll say, oh, I've been to Mozambique, or I've been to Prague, or I've been to Budapest, or I've been to Australia, I've been to Canary Islands, and but we're back in Chiang Mai. And it is the kind of home base that every single person who comes here and spends any significant time ends up coming back to. And that's kind of a way we, we keep that relationship and keep that friendship. Sure, sure. I, I'm actually, I'm missing... Costa Rica right now because right around mid-November, the town starts filling up and you get to see people who you haven't seen in a long time. And even if they're only going to be there for a couple months, it's amazing reuniting with people uh, and then getting to hear their stories. And there's only a few months when, you know, good parties happen and everybody gets together and there's a vibrant social life. Uh, other than that, sometimes in, where I am in Costa Rica, it can feel like, well, you're in the jungle and it's rainy season and it's still raining. So you might want to go and travel during that time. So that's that's pretty interesting. I, wa- I wanted to, to ask you, Johnny, how about your friends uh, maybe at home? Um, I'm 33. I just turned 33. So I have a lot of friends who are starting to pop out kids. Definitely a lot of weddings. Uh, people making home purchases, and I'm not really trying to do those things. Definitely not this year. (laughs) So uh, yeah, tell me about how, have you resisted the temptation? Have you had the opportunity? Uh, What are your thoughts on those things? Yeah, I'm four years older than you. So most of my friends are already married with kids. And it's crazy because I never see them. Even when I'm back home in San Francisco or L.A., it's like we have to schedule a time to try to have dinner, you know, because they have kids, you know, they have responsibilities. And 
most of them I would say are pretty happy, but at the same time, they're definitely all very stressed. And it's it's always funny when the, the guys always kind of pull me aside and they're like, I'm so envious of your lifestyle because <laughs> they see, you know, my freedom on Facebook. And every time I talk to them and they ask, you know, where have you been? And I always ask them to go first because, you know, I'm genuinely curious because I, you know, I, I haven't ta- spoken to them. At least they know what's happening in my life. I never see them post anything. So I, I'm genuinely curious about what's been going on. And they'll always answer, oh, same old. And I say, what do you mean, same old? I haven't seen you in a year. What have you been up to? And they're like, no, literally same old. I've been going to the same job. I still go to Costa Mesa Bar every Friday. I am basically doing the exact same thing. And I was trying to dig more out of them. But honestly, a lot of times, not that much is happening in their lives. Yeah, I can relate. And if you're not a digital nomad and you're listening to this, we are going to get in to uh, how Johnny does it in a second. But I did want to ask one other nomad question. And I think just about everybody that listens into the podcast is an avid traveler. And so I'm curious how you deal with that interaction with someone who hasn't gotten to do the things that maybe they wished that they were able to do. And of course, we all make we all make choices. And most of the people made a conscious choice to get married and have kids or buy a home and be tied to one location. But how is that awkward conversation where, for me, I don't want to just start telling about everywhere I've been. In fact, I feel uncomfortable sometimes. And I try to almost avoid the situation when I'm just hanging out with my friends who, yeah, I know they haven't been anywhere or, or done much and it has been the same whole old. So how do you deal with that? A lot of times now I kind of just downplay it, but I also don't don't allow them to have an excuse why they can't do it. I used to always agree with them. You know, I used to say like, oh yeah, I understand. You know, like, oh yeah, it could be tough. But now I'm just like, you know what? I'm out here if you, if you want to come visit, <laughs> if you want to come hang out, because I really believe everybody can live this life that they wanted to. It's a matter of priorities. You know, I think a lot of people have excuses where either they can't do it because of, you know, money issues or time issues, job issues, you know, maybe even family issues, but it, it's all a choice. It's all a priority. Sure. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, I know when you go back to the West Coast, your friends are doing a certain sort of thing. And when I would go back to visit New York over the last five or six years, a lot of my friends are just working themselves to the bone and they can't hang out when I get home. So, and they sure as hell aren't going to come visit me anywhere. So it's kind of like, all right, whatever, do your thing. I'll see you when I see you. Uh, I still care about you. But yeah, unfortunately, you, you drift apart. But Johnny, all right, tell everybody they're dying to know, how do you do it now? You're not a dive master anymore, uh, I assume. And so tell me about the, the work that you do online. Yeah, so the the first online business I started was I published a Kindle book. You know, I've always liked to blog. You know, my blog now is johnnyfd.com. If you guys want to check it out. But back then, it was a Muay Thai blog. It was about about you know training at fight camps. You know, and also it was actually kind of strange because the blog was half about Muay Thai and half about scuba diving. But really, the theme was just how to live cheaply in Thailand and follow your passions which ended up turning into a book called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life on the Cheap. And as soon as I published that, and I made my first $200, I thought, this is great. You know, It's not enough yet to, to continue living in Thailand on just this. I still need to work. Or maybe I can publish two more books. Or maybe I can find something that 
follows the same concept, but can replace my U.S. salary while living out here. And that was the the main goal because when I was in the U.S., I was making about three thousand dollars a month after taxes. And in California, that barely got me by. I, I never had anything left over. I wasn't able to, you know, eat out every day. I had to, you know, drive a used car. I had to have a studio apartment, and it was tough. And I, but I figured if I can make three thousand dollars a month U.S. while living in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where my monthly expenses at the time were six hundred dollars a month, I had a hundred fifty dollar to two hundred dollar apartment. Thai food is like two dollars a meal, and I thought if I can just make three grand a month. While keeping my expenses low, I'm going to be able to save so much money, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I can't agree more. So, where did you go to learn the skills that you now have? I just took an online course. I, I think we're really lucky that nowadays we don't have to go to a four-year university or college and spend you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to learn business management or or online business or e-commerce or marketing. Now we can spend you know one thousand dollars and take a full-blown course. Over eight weeks at home, and we can learn all those skills and more because they're probably taught by someone who you know is currently doing it versus someone who did it 20 years ago is now you know a professor, and you can learn it you know in the comfort of your own home. You know you can learn it from Thailand while watching video tutorials. Sure. Do you have any suggestions? I know you're a big Tony Robbins fan. A year ago. You talked about how you spent $4,500 on tickets and flying to Florida and dedicating six weeks to, to your personal development. But what would you suggest to people listening? I would say figure out what you want and then find the best person to teach that. So for personal development, by far the best person is Tony Robbins. There are cheaper versions you know, of him out there. There's plenty of you know, lifestyle or business coaches out there. He's the best one. So if that's what you want, you want to try to figure out what is happiness, what is the purpose of your life, don't try to shortcut it by being cheap and you know going for the you know low budget Tony Robbins version, you know whoever that person is, or even trying to figure it out through free YouTube videos because it might take you you know your whole life, it might take you three years to piece it all together. And the worst part of it is you might just get confused. And there's just so much contradictory information out there. You know if you want to learn e-commerce. Find the best e-commerce course and just take that. If you want to learn, you know, Instagram marketing, find the best Instagram marketing course out there and just take that. Cool. So tell us a little bit more about your, I guess I'll call it a rags to a modern rags to riches uh, story. So you decided to try to replace that income that you were making back in the states. You started taking online courses. Your uh, first Amazon book uh, started to make you a, a little bit of money at least, but what was kind of your tipping point? Yeah, so the first business that I ever did that actually replaced my $3,000 a month you know, US salary was I started a dropshipping store. So it's basically an online shop where you sell physical items. I was selling big, expensive furniture items. On average, you know, they cost about $400 to $800 a piece. And I would just sell it online while sitting in Thailand, but the products were sitting in the manufacturer's warehouse in the US. My customers are American. And instead of having them first ship it to my warehouse, which I didn't own one and I didn't want to deal with that, I would just have them drop ship it directly to the customer after they bought it. And it's been the you know the model that I've been following for the last five years. And I think it's the future of buying stuff online. I mean, there's no reason why things need to get shipped 
to you know two or three places like someone can just ship something directly to you and you're happy excellent and now do you teach people how to do this i know you have a bunch of blog posts about it i i'm, I'm looking here you sold one of your drop shipping stores for sixty thousand dollars and uh there you are with the check and and a big smile yeah is this something people can learn from you yeah, you know what's funny is a lot of people have asked me to start a course on it, but honestly, I, I never really wanted to because there already is a great course out there. You know, there's Anton Kraley's course. He's the guy who I learned from, and he's constantly updating his course. So there's no reason for me to create a subpar version of his because he was the one that taught me everything I know. So you might as well just go directly to him. You know, I do promote his course. You know, my referral link, it's AntonMethod.com if anyone wants to check it out. But I just tell people, just go there, you know, like learn from him. You know, I like I could probably make a lot of money if I started my own course, like Johnny's dropshipping course.com or something. But I just never wanted to do that because it's like me being the next, you know, me trying to be a mini Tony Robbins. You know, unless he knock on wood, you know, unless he passes and there's no one better, I'm not gonna try to, you know, be the best version. I'd rather just refer someone to the best. That's awesome. I, I'm glad that you have the Humility to be able to say that and recognize that. And uh, I mean, Tony Robbins, for example, has been doing it for God knows how many years, 30 plus, I think, at least. And so, yeah, if you think you're just going to start a blog and be the next Tony Robbins, well, good luck. Not to say that you can't be, but you better dedicate your life to it. So if people are trying to figure out what they should dedicate their life to. Uh, would you suggest drop shipping, or would you say, okay, maybe that's a muse that allows me to do some things uh, that I love and become location independent and explore other passions? Uh, yeah, what do you tell people? Yeah, I don't think running a dropshipping store is going to be anybody's like passion. Like the, you know, like you're probably going to sell like furniture, or you know, and nobody's that passionate about that unless you know you. you find like a sub niche, like let's say like super eco-friendly furniture or, you know, modernist painting furniture or whatever it is. But in general, it, it doesn't really matter if you're that excited about the actual product. What's exciting is learning how to build a store, learning how to drive traffic and, you know, have the skills to do marketing, you know, having skills for like online conversion rates. And what's great is you can take those skills and you can actually follow a passion. So now I spend a lot of my time Know, doing things that I like doing. Like for example, I am a consultant for a scuba diving, like a liverboard company, where they have dive boats all around the world and they sell dive trips. And I use the exact same skills that I learned from selling furniture to help them sell dive trips. And to me, that's a passion because I love scuba diving. I dream about going to the Galapagos or Komodo or you know these you know really amazing, beautiful destinations. And now. I get the perks of working for this company. And actually tonight, in a few hours, I'm flying to Bangkok to catch a plane to the Maldives. The Maldives, I don't even know how to say it, but it's been like one of my my dream destinations to go scuba diving. And I'm going to be on a 12-day liveaboard yacht, basically, where I'm going to you know go scuba diving three times a day for the next 12 days. And it's all for free for me. Wow, that's awesome. Um, have you gotten to Belize or or Roatan or the Galapagos like you brought up? Yeah, so a lot of those are still on my list. I, I have dove in the Roatan um, Islands and you know that was, that was pretty nice. And Belize, actually, I was really close there. I was you know on Roatan and each other and I, I wanted to go to Belize, but 
to be honest, like money was just too tight then. You know, I just didn't have the money to go, and you know, it was I didn't have a couple hundred dollars to spend on diving the blue hole. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just go back another day. And that's actually honestly a big reason why I decided I want to start making more money is because I want to, you know, even though it's like a nice perk that I just happened to, you know, to get this dive trip for free. My buddy that's going with me, he's paying full price. And it's because he made $11,000 last month with with his you know marketing campaign, uh, mainly because it was Black Friday last month. But like we could just afford to go now. I mean, we don't have to struggle to trade time for money, you know, or try to get a free trip. If we wanted to, we can just pay full price and just do these these amazing experiences and not have to be tied down to what we can get for free or what we can trade our time and money for. Sure, that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious what your ideas are on focus and quote unquote passion projects. And you have your your drop shipping muse. And like you said, it it might not be the end all be all for you, but it supports the life that you want to live so you can focus on things that that you love, like diving or like fighting. The F and the D for everybody who who doesn't know Johnny, that's that's fighter diver. And I'm curious because I'm currently, uh, and people can, can, I haven't talked about this project, but uh, wellnesstravels.org is a website that I'm working on. And I'm passionate about blogging and social media and just the online media space in general, but as it applies to wellness. And basically, my girlfriend and I spend most of our time when we're not doing things for under 30 experiences, our our main business, right? Where 199% of my time that I spend working is spent, we're, we're going to uh, different yoga retreats, or we're going to try out new gyms or spas or biohacking techniques or we showed up in Bangkok and you know we started to research what the healthiest restaurants were because we want to live a healthy lifestyle. And so we finally looked at each other and we said, we need to start reviewing these places. We need to start a blog about all of this stuff because the information is still difficult to find. And we want to continue, you know, this is a passion project of ours. And I go back and forth in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, but you know, I have a seven-figure business that I'm running. What I can't take my foot off the gas on on that. And but I could be going to these places and reviewing them for free or or helping them out in a number of of different ways, uh, helping them with sustainability, for example, or et cetera. So anyway, I'm curious what you think about passion projects and where people should spend their time. Yeah, definitely. I think passion projects is one of those things where if you do something that is you never charge for it, it's not sustainable because you're not able to hire good help. You're not able to continue it or even dedicate time to it. Like for example, you know, if you're always relying on volunteers, that goodwill of volunteers might kind of end at some point. They might support you in the beginning, but it kind of just fizzles out. But if your passion project, even though it's a great thing for the community or society. If it also makes money, you can also help a lot of people by being able to hire people and be able to pay for a photographer, a videographer, or, you know, or free people's travel. And that is something that can last forever. You know, versus most charities or goodwills, you know, end up kind of fizzling out, you know, sooner or later, or they just every year just asking for more. So 
one of my big passion projects right now is the Nomad Summit Conference, where every year we have a big gathering in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where digital nomads from around the world come, meet, learn, and grow from each other. So every year we have a bunch of speakers who have different topics. This year's topic is about leveling up. All of our speakers this year are making six figures or more in net profit, so $100,000 or more, doing all different things. You know, We had a photographer who decided he wanted you know, he didn't want to trade time for money anymore by freelancing. He wanted to figure out how to make passive income. And literally being the photographer at the Nomad Summit the last two years, he's learned enough where now he makes over $10,000 a month in passive income. So he doesn't have to, you know, be the event photographer anymore. He can be a speaker. He can be in the audience and just enjoy it. So it's really, really amazing where it's something that I love doing. And to be honest, you know, the first three years, it never made any money. Our last one that we did in, in Vegas made like pretty much nothing. I mean, I think we, we basically broke even, but I love doing it. it you know, if people come up to me after and they say, you know, thanks so much for this, John. Like I've met my new business partner or now I'm encouraged to fly to Thailand or now I've started this business because of the connections I made from what I've learned. So for me, even if that business takes five years to turn a profit, I'm okay with that because I have other sources of income that keep me afloat. And it doesn't mean that I never want to be able to make money from the Nomad Summit because I do want, you know, I would love that to be a full-time gig where I can really dedicate all my time to it, hire better talent, hire, you know, more people. But as a passion project, I knew it wasn't something that's going to make money right away. And I was okay with that. No, that that's cool. And I found with my side project, I was just, it ignited, it's a passion project. It truly, I'm truly passionate about it. And it ignited something inside me. I mean, I was, I was literally in the back end of a WordPress website, putting together the finishing touches on a website. I have not done that in close to 10 years since we started under30ceo.com. And very often, and excuse me, not very often will I work past 8 p.m. or bring my laptop to bed or something like that. I really try to shy away from that. But I was just writing this article and I was I was thrilled about it. And I was trying to get this website up. And I was like, wait a second, I need to pay attention to that. I need to do more of this. And uh, just having something different to work on with a different perspective was very useful to me. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, Johnny, as an experienced digital nomad and someone who uses this term passive income, could you dispel passive income a little bit for people and uh, talk about maybe how much work it takes to get the business to a point where you can then take time off and not have to be at your computer all the time? Because it's not all rainbows and butterflies. I want to point that out for people. Yeah, definitely. I would say a lot of people, the fallacy is like people want to skip to the passive part without doing the active part first and without, you know, even spending any time to set it up. Right. Like right there, you know, you, you can't just live the four hour work week if you haven't lived the 40 hour work week or maybe even the 80 hour the work week to set it up. And not all passive income is truly passive. A lot of things are kind of semi passive. Like, for example, my dropshipping stores, they take, you know, two to three months to set up without making any money. So it's zero profit for the first two months and some investment, you know, like, you know, not only spending a thousand dollars to learn how to do it, spending another $500 to put ads up, you know, spending money to build a website. 
So that's a negative cash flow in the beginning. And you have you know two months of no money. But what's nice is once it starts making sales and you spend some time optimizing, you set some things up, use some software, maybe have a higher VA, then it's becomes semi-passive. And you know what I mean by that is because of the time zone difference in, in Thailand, you know, pretty much 100% of the sales I get is overnight while I'm sleeping. So it's not like I'm actively working to make those sales. However, when I wake up, I'll have to fulfill the orders, I have to deal with customer service. And sure, you know, eventually I ended up hiring VAs to do that. But even then, I'm still managing them, making sure they're doing it right. So it was never really 100% passive. But there's a lot of businesses that were. So, you know, like I have some courses on Udemy, my books on Amazon. Those are 100% passive because I've written books, I published the course, and everything's kind of set up. People, you know, go on Amazon, buy it. I'm not the one printing the book. I'm not the one shipping it. I'm not the one dealing with the customer service. So there is kind of both. But either way, you have to be willing to put the time in upfront to be able to enjoy kind of the the fruits, you know, later. Okay, cool. No, that's, uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you, you specifically addressed what you call the fallacy of passive income. And now that you do have more time at your discretion, right? You may still spend that time working as Tim Ferriss doesn't just work four hours a week, as he has famously pointed out to everybody. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Muay Thai and, and working on yourself. Um, so I I recently had a Muay Thai experience in Bangkok. And uh, so I've taken some striking classes. I was training for a couple months. So I, you know, I can throw some some boxing combinations and a couple elbows here and there, but I'm no in no way a trained fighter, but I'm in pretty good shape. So I decided to go down to a local Muay Thai gym, got directions. You know, it was typical old man spoke no English. I speak no Thai, but he said, All right, we're gonna work out. And uh of course, there I was in my my first Muay Thai class, and I started throwing kicks. I was learning to kick, and the tops of both of my feet blew up. Uh, in fact, my shins, I must have ruptured the blood vessel. I'm not really even sure what happened, but uh, he was like, uh-oh, we got to stop. Rug, rub some tiger bomb on it. Put your legs up the wall, and we're going to basically call it quits, which was pretty disappointing for me. But I'm glad that it wasn't worse because it looked nasty. So anyway, I want to share my experience with you, of course. And then, uh, well, first of all, is that normal? Have you seen that before? Yeah. I mean, Muay Thai is a tough sport. And yeah, most people's bodies are not used to hitting hard bags. No. And... That's just the way it is. And definitely, you know, even though I've made money doing Muay Thai, it is the exact opposite of passive income. <laughs> of course, of course. No, I, I was just making sure that people knew this is what you spend your time on when you're not working, it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, back to the kind of four hour work week, what's really nice about being a location independent entrepreneur or a digital nomad is the fact that we have the option of working four hours a week. It doesn't mean that we're always going to do it. And it doesn't mean our, our business is going to continue growing if we're just working four hours a week. But what's nice is we can take a little break. We can take a pause. I mean, you know, I'm going to be on a 12-day liveaboard dive boat. And 
there's going to be very limited, if any, internet at all. But I'm okay with it because even though I, I won't increase my income while I'm on there, it's almost guaranteed that I'm going to make enough in passive income while I am on that boat to pay, you know, pay for all my flights, to actually pay for the whole trip, you know, even if I had to pay full price for it. And it's a nice feeling. I'm going to have to, you know, work when I get back. You know, I worked really hard this last month or two because I was kind of excited for this trip. But it's one of those things where instead of just working and getting that same salary, you know, having it not really matter if we if we work hard, if we create value, being an entrepreneur has so many benefits because it really is directly tied. I mean, the the value we create is directly tied to the amount of money we get back. Absolutely. So now are you spending a good amount of time working on your your fitness or your health or or specifically training? Yeah. Uh, so I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu now and I really love it. It's the the ground version of Muay Thai. If you look at you know UFC, if you ever watch MMA, it's I think having Muay Thai for striking and having jiu-jitsu for the ground, it really makes you an all-round good athlete or good fighter. So I, I really, really enjoy it. That's cool. I uh, I train in Austin at on it when I'm back home, uh, and it's connected to Bang Muay Thai and whatever the uh, jujitsu school is. It's it's literally right. Well, it's in it's in the same building, um, and I'm not intimidated to walk into a class and on it, but I am intimidated to go over to that side of the gym because it's where professional fighters train. But I know it's supposed to be open to to anybody. What would you say to people? including me, you can speak directly to me on this one, who are interested in learning self-defense but are intimidated by it. So first, I would highly advise everyone to skip all traditional martial arts besides the ones that actively spar. And it's really unfortunate. I almost never did any martial arts because I had a bad experience as a kid. You know, I did, you know, the typical like Aikido, Kung Fu, Karate type martial arts. And I was like, this is BS. Even as a kid, I, I can tell this just was a bunch of dancing and it wasn't going to be effective. You know, I think a lot of people get burned doing things like Hapkido or even Taekwondo, where you're not even allowed to punch someone in the face. And so no one's ever going to punch you in the face and you just aren't going to be trained for it. Or the, like the, whatever the Israeli one is as well. It's just like, it's too theoretical. So the only martial arts I would recommend are something where you're actually sparring. So that's Muay Thai, that's Western boxing, that's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And those are really the ones that actually work. And that's why if you watch MMA or UFC, 99.9% of the people are proficient in that, You know, even if they also happen to do something else. So what I would recommend is you know, finding a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym Go to a foundations class or even take a private lesson with the gi on, which is like the the uniform, uh, because that kind of imitates like street clothing where you can kind of grab each other and, and kind of hang on. And I would learn, you know, the basics of, of kind of the positions. And it could save your life one day because, you know, every single person should know how to get out of a choke and to be able to choke someone if needed, you know, like I've, I've seen, you know, so many instances of, you know, someone getting robbed or so, you know, someone getting mugged and there's, you know, bystanders that are just frozen because they don't know what to do. And, you know, or they might try, you know, you have someone who's like trying to stop a criminal, but they have no idea what to do when 
all you need is a simple rear naked choke, which you can learn in, you know, literally one day if you had a good, good instructor and really get good at, you know, in a month or two. And you can stop someone twice your size and you can stop them from harming others, from stealing so, you know, something to even, you know, like stopping someone from kidnapping someone. Okay, that definitely gets people's attention. Can you speak specifically to the women who are listening? Because we have a lot of female listeners, and I think it's so important, especially for women, to be able to be able to defend themselves, especially as there's so many avid travelers uh, who are listening into this. Because again, people, again, especially women, may be intimidated to just drop into their Muay Thai, uh, local Muay Thai studio or their their local jujitsu place and say, hey, I want to take a class. Can you maybe tell them a little bit about how some of these places are welcoming communities or what to look for in a studio other than actual sparring? Yeah. So one really cool thing about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the fact that once you're skilled, you can defeat a much larger opponent. And I know this because my best friend, this guy named Chris, he is literally half my size. I think he weighs, I want to say like 110 pounds or 120 pounds. He's a really small guy and I'm a big guy. You know, I'm like 5'11", I'm 230 pounds. When we roll jiu-jitsu, when we spar and we're like going after each other 100%, exactly half the time he wins he chokes like he chokes me into submission and i'm like okay i have to quit or i'm gonna black out and the fact that someone a hundred pounds lighter than me can do that means that a woman you know who also takes the training and is more skilled than than someone else they can do the same thing and what's great is against an untrained person which 99.9 percent of the people in the world are even criminals you don't have to, you know, do jujitsu for ten years to to be better than them. You can you can do it for three months or one year, and as a 110 pound woman, you can take down a 200 pound man just by having the proper technique and the proper training that's been battle tested through through sparring. And this is why like Krav Maga doesn't necessarily work because it's not that the technique might you know doesn't always work. It's the fact that you don't you can't really try it with someone all who's also fighting back. And that's why what I would recommend is find a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school that has other people around your size, but also bigger people. And that way you have a variety of people to, to practice on. In the beginning, sign up for a foundations class, a beginner's class, or take a private lesson. Practice with people relatively you know, your size. And then once you, know, you got your technique a little bit better, maybe after a few months, practice with much bigger, bigger people. Because that's going to give you the real life experience of what would happen in this scenario. That's great. And, and can you talk a little bit more about what this does for people's confidence and just the mental aspect of getting choked and what that means for people's mentality on how they walk around the world? And a lot of you, you might think, oh my God, this is really just attracting a whole bunch of violence uh, in my life. But I have a lot of friends who train jujitsu and they're all much more calm, relaxed people when they're training. I, I really do believe that. Could you talk about that? Yeah, 100%. I, I remember before I learned Muay Thai and jujitsu, I, 
you know, would get into altercations. And I, you know, it wasn't that I was starting them, but I'd be, let's say, at a bar or something. And some guy, you know, usually some drunk kind of douchey guy would come up and, you know, start something. And I think they can tell that I was a bit scared. I was nervous. I didn't know what to do. And even though I, like, tried to stand my ground, and, you know, or apologize and walk away, and nothing worked. And they would want to fight. But ever since I learned how to actually fight, I'm actually more polite now where I'm like, oh, no, like, I don't want to fight. Like, I'm, you know, just, you know, misunderstanding. And instead of them bothering me and continuing it because they can sense weakness, now they can tell that I actually am not afraid of them. I'm just kind of, you know, zen enough or I don't actually want to fight them. But they can kind of tell. I, I think they can sense it. They can feel it that. If they did want, you know, actually push it, that they would get their butt kicked, you know, or I would fight back really hard and wouldn't be worth it. So now they kind of just take it as a, as an opportunity to get the little win and say, yeah, okay, you know, like I'll let you let you off the hook this time. And this has been the case with every single person I know who does jujitsu or muay thai, especially if you've competed. You know, I would say that's a big part of it is actually having been in the ring. You know, having a few fights on your belt, you know, a few jujitsu matches on your belt, you're not scared anymore. You also don't have a huge ego because you know, just because someone is smaller than you doesn't mean that they can't beat you. They're not, you know, more trained. So now, when I kind of walk through life, I'm much more confident. You know, I'm not afraid of, you know, getting into a fight, or even better, I'm not afraid of jumping in if someone is getting attacked or robbed, because now I know what to do. That's really cool to hear it. Yeah, and it's like you have a a weapon, except you have so much respect for that weapon because you know what it can do and you know how it can also be used against you because you don't know who else in that bar trains. And we're living in a, a time now where there's a lot of skilled fighters out there that you might just bump into the wrong way, but probably they're going to be really cool people, which is great. But it's just a really interesting concept. And I'm a, a very big advocate of nonviolence, of course, but having respect for that skill, I think is something that's, that's very important. Uh, so yeah, Johnny, thank you for sharing that. I know we're we're getting close to an hour here and and we're going to wrap up. I, I've really enjoyed speaking with you today, but I had one final question for you. And I, I just wanted to ask if you had one piece of advice that you could give to people out there who are thinking, wow, I would like to live this lifestyle that Johnny's living. I would like to maybe be able to travel and see things that I always dreamed uh, of seeing and having experiences that I've always dreamt of experiencing and having time to work on myself and maybe learn a new skill and uh, develop myself personally and professionally. What would you tell those people? I would remind them that they have one life. They have this one chance and it's a gamble. It might not work out. You know, it might be much harder than they think, you know, it's going to be. And they might have to sacrifice some things, but we have one chance, you know, and if we don't take it, we have to be okay with, you know, growing old one day and possibly regretting it, possibly having a normal life at a job that you might not like, you know, you might even hate, you might even dread, you might just get married to someone just because you're both unhappy and you both just want to be comfortable. You're both living in the same town and you don't have that much selection or, you know, or choice, you know, or you don't even really know yourself because you haven't traveled, you haven't 
seen the world. You haven't met people from different cultures. And you might just settle for a life of mediocrity, which might turn into misery. And it's safer. It's more comfortable. You know, It's more kind of guaranteed. But it might not be the best life for you. And if you really want to take that gamble, you want to take that chance of ultimate freedom, of being able to see the world and being able to you know, explore different cultures, go for it. Like it's, it, we live in a very unique time where 10 years ago, 20 years ago, definitely you know, not in our parents' generation or great-grandparents' generation, did we have the freedom to be able to work online from anywhere in the world and travel anywhere in the world. Let's take advantage of it and let's, let's enjoy it. Beautiful. I could not agree more. We live in an incredible, incredible time. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody listening takes something from this and, and goes out there and puts these dreams into action. So Johnny, your name is spelled J-O-H-N-N-Y. And then of course, followed with F-D for Fight or Dive Master. Where can people get a hold of you, become part of your community and uh, reach out to you? Yeah, so if you want to know more about my personal journey and my story and how I got the confidence to quit my job, move out here, uh, read my two books. The first one's called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life on the Cheap. And the second one, which is more about becoming a digital nomad and actually starting the business, is called Life Changes Quick. They're both available on Amazon. You can just Google them. But if you want to just learn more from other people who have also done it, my podcast, Travel Like a Boss, has over 200 interviews with people who do exactly what I do in all different fields. So that's probably the best way to get started. And if you want to hang out in person, if you want to meet me, you know, four or 500 other digital nomads, you know, as well as learn from all the speakers, come out in person to the Nomad Summit. Hell yeah, sounds like a plan. I'm going to have to check it out. All this will be available in the show notes, links and, and resources on under30experiences.com. And uh, Johnny, thank you again. I hope we get to hang out in person next time. Yeah, I'm excited. And by the time this comes out, I'll probably be underwater swimming with some sharks. So if you see me down there, you know, give me a wave. Sounds good. I appreciate it. 